G'day everyone, it's Susie here from Swiss Parts and Gary's here. It's a me, a Mario. Let's not. No. Let's not. We've got a good interview coming up for you today. We spoke to Britta Kertzi from um, Kertzi Kekau. I'm so sorry, Britta, if I said that wrong. It is very nice to say. Um, we spoke to her a couple of weeks ago about her sustainable, fair, and vegan chocolate that is made right here in Switzerland. Uh, Zurich. So it's a really great interview and it was awesome to have her on. And uh, we also, yeah, uh, we also have a giveaway. So if you want to win some of her delicious chocolate, you can head to our Facebook page or our Instagram page. Just type in Swiss Pats and you'll find it. And we encourage you to enter and win. And if you don't win, we encourage you to buy it from directly from her. Yeah, exactly. Not the first time we've had winning, uh, had the chance to win chocolate, uh, but uh, that's that's this one. This is uh, Britta's. And this is well-sourced chocolates. Is that it, well-sourced? It is well-sourced, very sustainable. So we're super excited and we'll have that coming up for you right right away almost. What's going on in Switzerland these days? (sighs) Well, there's nothing going on that is not corona-related, is there? There's like nothing. And then you go through the news and it's... The news is always like, what country is now on the quarantine list? Which canton is it uh, mandatory to wear masks? I just heard today that, uh, that Germany might put Switzerland on the, their list. So that means shopping, uh, for us at least, in Laura or Weil am Rhein, is, uh, is, might be out, which is really depressing. Because... Well, I must admit, I got used to not shopping in, in Germany uh, during Corona, so... Costs a lot more to swallow to shop in Switzerland. But even to get things shipped, we've just started uh, after seven years here. We've just uh, started to embrace Amazon.com again, or Amazon.de Deutschland uh, for you Americans out there, or the, your people who are not from uh, in Europe. Uh, and so we have to get things delivered because there's no Amazon shipments to Switzerland. You yeah, know that, right. So of course, everybody knows that so you have to go over uh have it delivered to a post box in germany and go and pick it up over there and if they close the border yeah uh, our embrace of amazon is uh, is going to i i must admit i don't like amazon i try not to shop at amazon if i can help it because i mean jeff bezos Bezos already rich he doesn't need any more of my money so i use galaxis it's probably owned by amazon let's be honest galaxis.ch I'm hoping not. Yeah. Don't burst my bubble. Oh, man. So, yes, we'll have to embrace. There are other options in Switzerland. They might be a little more expensive, a little, uh, but at least we can get them delivered. Exactly. So, um, I do have a story for you. Um, It's about the best and worst train stations in Switzerland. Mm. I mean, if we're not going anywhere for the next 10 years, we might as well embrace train travel, right? It's is fun. I, I enjoy it when there aren't a lot of sick people on the train. Mm. Uh, I'm guessing that uh, Basel train station, where it's nice from the outside, but it's not so great inside. It's better now that they don't allow smokers inside. It used to be, you know, you couldn't smoke in, um, in enclosed spaces. But even though the Basel train station, the SBB, is enclosed, they considered it open. I don't know. I still don't understand how they... 
because it had high ceilings. I guess, um, maybe. But they did uh, finally decide that no smoking allowed inside. So that's nice. That is nicer. That does that does add to the niceness. Um, but it is, it is. I don't know where it is on the list to be honest. But I can tell you the top ones. Now you, when I told you that we we're going to talk about this, you said instantly, "Oh, it must be Zurich." Zurich now Zurich does have a lot of daily visitors. I mean, in normal times, um, with over four hundred and sixty thousand daily visitors, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. But the Zurich um, Hauptbahnhof only came in at second. So number one is the Lucerne station, which has 167,000 passengers and passers-by. And I agree that that's a nice station. You can just jump straight on the boat. It's like right by the uh, the river. I was going to say Rhine, but... Yeah. Everything. What river is that? Is that the R River? No, the R is the one that goes through the Bering. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's say the Lucerne River. Uh, yeah. If anybody knows uh, what the name of the river is that goes to Lucerne, please let us know. Yeah, exactly. That. But Lucerne, everything about Lucerne is beautiful. Exactly. Beautiful. It's beautiful, isn't it? And in uh, joint 30s, um, the Arawa and Zug train stations. Uh, so they're considered modern great stations. I and Argau and Arau. Yeah. Um, well, I know Argau, we're right next to Canton, Argau. But Canton, there's an Arau, is that? Is Arau the city that's in Argyle? Ooh. I think, that might, I think that might be it. Maybe. Oh, see what they've done? Oh, we're just... We're just, just we're full of full of uh, vital information here, aren't we? Misinformation, unfortunately. The losers are um, the Beale um, train station. Bill, yeah, Bill Bean, Bean. Bean train station. It's at the bottom. One of the reasons is there's always extremely long waiting times at the ticket counter. Uh, but that only has 69,000 visitors. The worst one is Bern, who has um, 330,000. Actually, is that? Oh, no, it's less than Zurich. I was going to say that's more than Zurich, but it's not. Um, but they, the, people don't like that one. They think that one's a bit boring, a bit uh, could be. I can't even think of the There you go. If you can't remember it, then it's it's not memorable. And then Alton is also at the bottom of the lists. Yeah, Alton, and you always have to through Alton. I mean, that's not much of a trip. That's just a depot. That's, I wouldn't call that a station. That's, you always have to pass on the way to Zurich or on the way to Lucerne. You always have to pass through Alton. Yeah, that's I true. I can tell you, I know Alton is nearly style maybe um, in, um, in Baselland. I have no idea where it is. You've mm. taken trains here. I have taken trains pre-corona. It's been a while. It's been, it's been a few it's been a few months, Gary, since I was on a train. I'll be honest. I've embraced the the vehicle driving as opposed to uh, train travel. Uh, so I have a lease car. I have to keep an eye on my kilometers. <laughs> so, which is good reason for you to take the train, right? Normally, normally, yeah. These are not normal times. But you know what we can do, regardless of the time, we can eat chocolate. Yes. Oh, that is a good segue. Yes. Yes. You can always eat chocolate, even in mm-hmm. Corona times. And I know that Britta will deliver during Corona times. So there you go. If we go, if we go into lockdown again, you can still get your chocolate delivered. So let's get to it. Let's go and uh, meet. Ooh. Get chew it. Get chew it. Yes. Let's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> groans. I can hear all your groans from here. Gary, you're groans. sacked. <laughs> uh, not the first time. 
<laughs> um, so let's get to Britta and uh, and get to hear all about her story. So it was awesome meeting her. Thank you so much, Britta, for coming on. And we hope that you will visit her pages, her Facebook, her Instagram, and follow her, but also us, so you can win that, that chocolate. Yes, look mm. for links for everything on our Swiss Pass uh, Facebook page. Exactly. Awesome. Here we go. G'day everyone, welcome to Swiss Pats. Thank you for tuning in. Today we have a very special guest, someone who makes chocolate. We all love chocolate. We've got Britta Kurtzi here from Kurtzi Cacao. Is that right? That is correct. Awesome, I said it. Cacao is right. Cacao, yeah. 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 Britta is a bean-to-bar chocolate maker and she is the founder of Curtsy Cacao. So she's here to tell us about her journey. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you just mentioned to me before we started recording that you have been in Switzerland for about three years, which actually makes you uh, an expat baby. I am an expat baby. (laughs) That's only in comparison to like us old, real timers. Yeah, yeah. So you came in 2017. What uh, brought you to Switzerland in the first place? Yeah, so actually I was in a, I had met my current husband, Martin, while he was traveling through the United States. And this was, um, this was when I was living in Asheville, North Carolina, and he had just quit his job to travel around the world. And he had met someone in a small town in South America who said, if you're ever in the United States, you should go to Asheville, North Carolina. And Lucky there's this you. girl I know here. <laughs> and so it was totally random. And he thought, well, he never had any plans to go to the United States. Um, but then his friend was working at Credit Suisse in New York City. And he had invited him to come visit. And Roger Federer was playing at, uh, oh my gosh, I hope Martin's not listening right now, but the, the very important tennis tournament that happens in New York City. US, US Open. Open. <laughs> Forest Hills. Yeah, exactly. So um, as a good Swiss citizen, he had to come to the United States to see Roger Federer, of course. And so he probably won as well. Yeah, I, I think he did. Yeah. I think it was like a highlight of Martin's life so far. <laughs> um, so then he looked up on a map because he was like, well, I'm in the United States, actually. And so he looked up on a map. How far away is Asheville, North Carolina t- from New York City? And saw it was about a 14-hour drive and was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just rent a car and go to Asheville, North Carolina. Stopped, on like, uh, stopped in Washington, D.C. on the way. And then um, he ended up in Asheville where I met him. And then <laughs> we, uh, we met for a coffee. We started dating. And then at some point, um, he had to go back to Switzerland. How long was he supposed How long did he have in Asheville? How long did this romance? This, uh... Yeah, so he was, I met him in October. And he was able to stay until um, January 1st. January 1st, they told him, you need to go out. You need to leave the country. Was that his original plan to stay there that long? Or was it, no. Was it your doing? Uh, <laughs> it was a bit there? my doing. It was a bit of a joke with his friends. They were like, what? What is in Asheville? That's so exciting. I mean, it's not that big. Haven't you seen everything? <laughs> Did he not mention you right away? <laughs> well, I think he mentioned me, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a process, so... So you also mentioned before we get uh, to the decision that you got on a plane and, and made your way over here, you actually traveled around the U.S. quite a lot um, as a young person. You were traveling with your family. Is that right? Yeah. So um, before I was in fourth grade, I had lived in Indiana, California, Arizona, the U.K., Pennsylvania, and then 
So I guess I, I grew up and I lived the longest time from fourth grade until I graduated high school in Tennessee. And then after that, I went to university in Georgia at University of Georgia. Um, and I lived there for four years. And then I moved back to Knoxville and then I moved to Asheville. So, I mean, it's like every four years I'm ready to move. That's why you've got that very like um, American accent that, that you couldn't place. It's like a, you could be a news presenter. This was actually very intentional. So I grew up in the Southeast United States and um, I, it was actually in Oak Ridge though. And I don't know, I didn't feel like I fully identified with being a Southerner because I was kind of like I'd come and moved there, but I'd lived so many places. And so it didn't feel authentic to have a Tennessee drawl. <laughs> and so I would try to mimic what the newscasters were talking like on the television. But still sometimes people tell me like the Southern accent, a tiny it. bit comes no, out. I it all. There's no y'alls, that's for sure. I do love a good y'all though. Yeah. I do Everybody like saying y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Even I'd try it if I, if, I could get a, say if I could get away with it, I'd throw in a y'all. I think everyone can get away with y'all. They're even saying y'all in Brooklyn now. Really? Oh, I like not even better than y'all is the all y'all. All y'all? All y'all. All y'all better. Not just y'all. When you're serious, you say all y'all. All y'all better calm down. Yeah, or also a southern favorite of mine is bless your heart. Oh, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I have heard that one. Darling, you have to say darling. Oh, darling. Bless your heart, darling. <laughs> bless your heart, darling. <laughs> there you every, go. Every waitress says southern. that in, 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 in a roadside diner. There you go. <laughs> Can I get you anything else, darling? Uh, darling has to be uh, sweetie, it, darling. It, yeah. It's very endearing. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Except so is there a favorite U.S. Uh, place that you lived that you that kind of has a bit of a piece of your heart or they they all do? I mean, so I guess I would say probably Asheville, North Carolina. I it was where I was living when I met Martin. I really love the town there. It's this it's got this huge sense of community in Asheville where mm. everyone wants to support local businesses. Everyone's really artistic. Um I don't know. I guess I just really love the creativity and the creative vibe that Asheville has. So I, I love this. I don't know that I would live there again, but it does have a bit of a piece of my heart. I mean, everywhere that I've gone, I've tried to take like the best of what that place has to offer and leave the rest behind. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. And um, so that takes us back to Martin and your decision to move to Switzerland. So what happened first? Did he go home and then you missed him and you were like all right I'll come over or was there a bit of long distance relationship going on yeah so I mean there was a long distance relationship and it was really funny because I had broken up with someone one time because they moved to the other side of Asheville <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly I'm in a long distance relationship that I hadn't planned on being on and it's like a different time zone a different continent and um yeah, so we were in a long-distance relationship for a little while, and then in July of 2017, he flew to Asheville and proposed, and then we very quickly planned a wedding, and we got married in New York City at City Hall. Nice! <laughs> and immediately after our wedding, uh, we moved to Switzerland, so it was a very quick process after Rollins. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, whirlwind. Yeah, yeah. and you you mentioned that um, that it was a really creative place there where you were living. Were you involved in creating something, doing something um, with uh, being creative? Well, I mean, I wasn't doing anything professionally creative. I was working in outside sales, doing like business to business sales, so very uh, non-creative 
work. But the cool thing was I was working with small to medium sized businesses. So you get to see like how things are made mm-hmm. and learn the mechanics behind things that you never think of. Like, um, I met with a business owner that manufactured the little metal ends that go onto the ends of ice bags. <laughs> I mean, like I would have it's never so thought weird. about this. And yeah. then you meet these people and it's like these, these little things that make the world work and you never think, how is this made or where does this come from? And these people are so passionate and they're just like, they could talk to you for hours about why they use the certain metal in the little end piece and how they have to get it the certain shape and all this. And so I guess it, it was creative in that regard. But I mean, my creativity was really, I like to like make my own bread at home. I was always baking bread. Um, at the time I was, uh, I was, just different craft projects in the kitchen. Like I was making my own chocolates. I wasn't making chocolate at that point, but I was making my own little pralines and stuff like this. I just really, in my spare time, like to do uh, food projects that I could use my creativity, but then they were very practical because then I could enjoy them. <laughs> yeah. And, and Did you share with your friends and family? I'm very good at sharing, yes. <laughs> That's good. I like someone so, who so, can share their chocolate. So, so you moved to uh, Switzerland and you're like, okay, I think it's the law. You have to start a chocolate business. <laughs> no, no, quite the opposite. You think I'm an American. I cannot start a chocolate business in Switzerland, actually. No, it was funny because I moved here and I was really, um, I, I, in Asheville, there's a, a, I don't know if you know, French Broad Chocolate Company. There's like this chocolate factory there and it was amazing chocolate and so good and bean to bar and like they knew the origin of where the cocoa beans were coming from and they knew the whole story and so I was really I I loved this chocolate but then I was moving to Switzerland and I had thought well it's going to be a chocolate factory like this on every corner right (laughs) and so um yeah I I guess I didn't realize that the reason that Switzerland's famous for chocolate is because the, this is where milk chocolate, for example, was invented. So it was during the beginning of the Industrial Revolution when they were really starting to figure out how to mass produce um, different food products that Switzerland found their niche and they were able to, um, with so Henry Nestle invented the condensed milk powder. Start with baby milk. Yeah, exactly. Because you see these like pictures of of these women like with these big pails of milk pouring it into chocolate and you think like oh so that's how chocolate's made but actually you can only add dry ingredients into chocolate when you're making a batch of chocolate otherwise it will seize up into a thick fudgy unworkable mass so that is why milk chocolate was invented here by daniel peter and then with the mass industrialization and everything they were able to mass produce really good high quality chocolate but more from an industrial perspective right whereas i was used to more of like the craft and artisan kind of chocolate and and then i moved here so i'm doing german in the mornings and then i have some time in my afternoons and i'm like well i should probably just make this a swiss immersion program (laughs) why not like i want to get integrated like asap and so then I enrolled in a bean to bar chocolate making class with Ecole Chocolat. And so I learned German and chocolate right when I came here. So you did that in German? No, no, no. The chocolate learning was in English, oh, okay. thankfully. Oh. Could you explain the whole bean to bar um, process, what, the, what that actually means? Yeah, absolutely. So normally um, when you have a chocolatier, they're going to buy chocolate that's been pre-made by one of... Uh, 
another company that has bigger and more industrial size machines. And when you say being de bar, what it usually means is that a smaller craft maker is doing the full step, like the full process of chocolate making in addition to that last step of tempering as well. So I import raw cacao beans from uh, Kilimbero Valley in Tanzania. Cool. They're of a Trinitario variety. This is probably too nerdy. No, please. <laughs> nerd out. Somebody, so somebody in the audience is like, really? Trinit what is it called? <laughs> They're like, Trinitario, what are you talking? No, so it's of a Trinitario variety. That means that genetically it has this potential for this uh, just a wonderful bright fruity notes. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. And um, I work together with Coco Camilli to import those. And they will buy the wet cacao from farmers directly. And they will pay 35% uh, above market rate for the wet cacao. And so it's even more than 35% because typically on a, on a market level, you buy dried cocoa beans. So it takes away, and then they do a centralized fermentation process. Am I, have I already lost you? No, okay. no, 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 please. <laughs> so you ferment this wet cacao, and I guess I should say, cacao comes from a fruit. Yeah. Like it's, it's, a, it's a fruit, fruit pod tree, on yeah. a tree, you crack it open, it's always like everything that happens in Tanzania and everywhere in the world where cacao is grown, it has to be done by hand. There are right. no machines that exist that to, to harvest cacao. So all of this is manual labor. And it's I, heroin. It is. Well, who said that? <laughs> yes. And just as addictive. Yes, yes that's true. Gary. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, and I've done this, it's, it's, it's really hard labor, like it's yeah. really labor intensive. Um, so anyway, you get this cacao, they take it, they put it into wooden boxes, and then they do a six day fermentation protocol. So two days, and then to the next box, two days, and then the next box, two days. And that's different than the traditional heap fermentation, which is mostly happening in Ghana Ivory Coast, which is where we import our cacao for the industrialized chocolate market because you're getting a more even air, air distribution and that helps with the fermentation process. So all that to say, I get those cacao beans, I hand sort them because sometimes um, just with transportation and stuff, you'll have some little little bits and pieces here that you have to sort out to make sure that you're getting just like really high quality stuff. How many stuff. beans are you hand sorting? I mean, so they come in 60 kilogram jute boxes, or jute bags, sorry. And so it's quite some beans. And, and, and you go through every one of them. Well, I have a little, like a little, I don't know what to call it. Is it like it. a shaker? It's like a little shaker. Yeah. It's like mining for gold. Yeah, it's like a, mining yeah. for gold. But then I put that and, and it helps me. It's pretty, it's not. I was going to say, it sounds therapeutic. It is. It's like Zen yeah. chocolate making. It yeah. really is. It feels a bit therapeutic the when I'm doing it. And the the, the smell. Oh, yeah. You, you have this. Like, do you make like rejects? chocolate bars with the beans that didn't make the cuts i'm considering doing that as an experiment um it because yeah what what do you like so far i've been using it as fertilizer for plants which is actually very nutritionally um good for the lucky for, plants yeah. chocolate for dinner <laughs> yeah i feed my plants chocolate <laughs> um but yeah so then once you do all this hand sorting you will uh or i will roast the cacao and so this is also it's a like when you get a when you get the cacao beans you have to do a lot of testing to see what is the perfect roast profile and so for what i'm trying to achieve is i really want to get this like deep chocolatey fudgy notes that are present in the cocoa beans from coco camilli in the kilimbera valley but i also want to 
make sure that the fruity notes are coming out as well. I don't want too much of either to be present. Yeah. I want it to be a really balanced, um, balanced flavor. And I want it to be something that when someone puts a piece of chocolate in their mouth, they're going to have a different, like a, mm -hmm. the, from the first second to the 15th second, it's not going to be the same experience. Like it's going to be always evolving and there's going to be like a fun journey that they can take with chocolate. That's assuming it lasts 15 seconds in your mouth. I mean, when I eat it, Chocolate bar. You gotta you gotta savor it. When you when you buy fancy chocolate, you gotta savor it. This is not like a lint chocolate so it's bar. Not you gotta... just shoving it, just filling no. your mouth as no. much as possible. Seriously. Okay. You gotta savor it. That's okay. what I learned savor. with chocolate. Savor, okay. Yeah. I'll see if I can do that. Oh. When we when I do chocolate tasting, some people act like I'm torturing them because I won't even let them taste the chocolate for a long time before we I have them set it out and it needs to aerate for ten minutes and then like, the, it's just, just like sitting in front of them for like ten minutes and then I make them like put it under their nose and inhale and and by the time they finally have it in their mouth, I'm like you're not allowed to bite and they're like oh how can you do this to me? But it really it's a whole zero stars worst thing ever. She wouldn't let me eat let me eat my chocolate. Just let me eat it. <laughs> well, if I can back up, what was the actual inspiration? So you moved to Switzerland. Yeah. So what made you say chocolate? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make chocolates. That's that's my. So it really. Well, I didn't know it was my life's mission. I just had a question when I moved here. It was like, um, why can you? Because I've been plant based. I've been eating a plant based diet for many years. And when I moved here, I could find like. That can't be easy in Asheville. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? It's yeah. so easy. It's like it's one of the... Asheville the is like Portland, Oregon of the South. Okay. It's okay. super, super... I thought Austin, Texas was the Portland, Oregon of the South. But so Austin, okay. Asheville, and Portland <laughs> all have a very special bond with okay. one another. And most of the... Like, is there a whole keep Asheville weird movements? Yes. Okay, good. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Say no more. Oh, it is very much that. This is an American thing going on right <laughs> you, now. You don't know what's I happening here. I don't know what's here. happening here. Do you have a unicyclist riding around with yes, a flaming... Yes, we do. With, with a, a flaming, flaming bagpipe. Bagpipe, okay. <laughs> we, okay. It's, it's, that is Asheville, yes. So okay. it was super easy. Right. Say no more. Uh, um, but when I moved here, it was really easy in a grocery store to find like almond milk or hazelnut milk or right. all these different like oat milk, everything. But when you went to like the milk chocolate aisle and this is the land of milk chocolate, you could only find like cow milk chocolate. And I was thinking, man, I mean, I would think that there would be more innovation happening in the space with the trend going toward this more uh, plant-based alternatives and everything. And I, so I think that you probably came over right when those milks were even becoming available because there was, when, when I moved here only a few years before you, that was non-existent. I never saw that, never saw them in the supermarkets, oat milks, rice milks. Yeah, so, now it's huge. Yeah, now you can get them everywhere. And like the, the Seal City Cope near me, their, their vegan vegetarian section has like Tiny. doubled yeah. since when I moved here. And that's only three year. years, yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. nuts. Same with the gluten-free section. When we first moved here, there was nothing, Wow, nothing at all. And now it's growing and growing and growing. So you're a part of the the I'm the reason the, the trend <laughs> to to get uh, to get certain products well, thank you know, you. more thank plant based. You for, thank you for uh, yeah for making this for for changing Switzerland's uh, that Try, way. trying you. to do my best and yeah the thing is uh, I think now they're trying to do some innovation on like the milk chocolate on a on an industrial scale but the more I learned about chocolate the more I fell in love with like the artisan high quality cacao experience. And so I really wanted to do flavor combinations that were going to honor 
like the the, the main ingredient, the cacao. So I wanted to complement them. And yeah, it, it is challenging to make vegan chocolate though, because you can't just add like hazelnut milk into into your chocolate batch because you can't add any wet ingredients. But if you add just a whole hazelnut into a chocolate batch, you're gonna get something similar to Nutella. And so it's like, it, it, so you've had to do lots of experimenting. It took a lot of time. I went to uh, I went to Belgium actually to study and um, I do it. Something a thing or two about chocolate there. They do, yeah, and they have quite some PhDs at Ghent University. It's one of the top five food science programs, and so learning with them was quite fascinating. And I, w I told them what I was trying to do because they don't have any science on vegan chocolate making, really. What, what's What's the difference between vegan chocolate and regular chocolates? Just no animal products added. So how much animal products are in a normal chocolate bar? Uh, so it depends bar? on, so like a milk chocolate normally has around 20% or more milk, milk powder. Um, and it, if you're in the United States, for example, dark chocolate will also add milk powder into it. But I believe the law in Europe, if you have a dark chocolate, you're not allowed to add milk powder. So most all dark chocolate in Europe is automatically vegan. Okay. Really? Yeah, yeah. But um, it's not regulated the same way in the United States as it is here. But consumers here are a bit more protected in general than what we're used to in the United that States. <laughs> no corn syrup here. Which, which is like, if you look at an American like pantry, it's all corn. Yeah. Like every product, yep. it's all corn. Syrup. I learned that recently when I was decided I would start making pies. We don't make pies in Australia. That's not a thing. We <laughs> eat pies, they're meat pies. We don't eat sweet pies. <laughs> But I decided, I know, I decided I needed to get into the pie making thing. And, um, and when I Googled things, it was all about corn syrup. But I found a recipe book that doesn't use corn syrup at all. It's American. Mm. It's a southern pie recipe book. Mm. No corn syrup. Amazing. Yeah. Sorry, that was a little, a little sidetrack about corn syrup. <laughs> yeah, in the U.S. it's like, I mean, even our, our, like the syrup that you put on pancakes, like some of that that's popular is just like corn syrup with food coloring. Oh. <laughs> Every, you look on the ingredients of just about any... You go into no the wonder you're plant-based living in America. Look. I don't know how people could survive that kind of diet. <laughs> it's, it's really... But the weird thing about the United States is you have so many extremes. Right. You have like... If you just eat your average American, you're probably just eating corn syrup. But then you have like these health food stores, which have like this wide array of like... Every flavor of gluten-free, vegan, mm -hmm. paleo, keto, like thing that you could ever want. It's a, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre yeah. juxtaposition. So it's it's a little easier there to to kind of pick up a, a different diet that uh, that fits your lifestyle. Yeah, here I mean you didn't see, like all all these vegetarian restaurants, all vegan restaurants, also you know along with the whole trend of products in the supermarkets here. All these restaurants that are suddenly opening up, it's amazing how many, in Basel at least, yeah. um, just, there's like a vegan restaurant. Ooh, place. wasn't there a vegan donut shop that just opened up in Basel? It is amazing. Oh. I need to go. Oh, I'm not even joking. It where, is where, where, the best <laughs> donuts I have ever eaten. Wow. I'm not even joking. They are so good. I follow them on Instagram and I, my mouth is just always watering I, and I'm like, when name, am I going to get to go to Basel? It's called Mr. Fry and the lady, she's German. Her name is Allegra and she's done it all herself and um, her donuts are just so good. And I even sent Nora yesterday. She's 11, my daughter. I was like, can you go get me some donuts? 
And she got on the bus and she went and she got me donuts. Wow. They're so good. She lined up for 45 minutes. Very popular. Very, very popular. I know that, seriously, they're the best. You have to come to Basel and eat them. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm actually, I'm planning to make a trip just to come and eat yes, them. Yes, and you will not regret it. It's right by the Rhine. Oh, so good. I have to compare them to voodoo donuts, which is what No, nope. don't even. Oh, I think we got a, wait, is this a vegan donut shop? I think that Asheville. Well, they have vegan. I don't, think, I don't know if all of their donuts are vegan, but they did have a wide assortment of vegan donuts. Mm. Yeah, all of all of Mr. Fry's are, are vegan donuts, every single one of them. So, mm. yeah, there you go. You've got to try it. That is nothing to do with your nothing at all. chocolate. I'm, I'm at, sorry to go on. That's absolutely fine. I'm We're just talking about a, food. I love Tasty. chocolate. I love donuts. The two of those things I could talk about all day long. That's why I don't mind hearing about like the beans and, and, and everything because I think it's fascinating. And then it's very interesting that the Swiss don't, like you picked up on that, that there's not this very kind of homegrown chocolate making. It's more of an industrial, huge uh, process. And that is quite shocking to even r- realize that, that that's not really how it's done right. here. It's what, yeah. So what's been the reception for your chocolates uh, so far? I mean, when you mention that you have a chocolate company, people's faces just light up with joy. <laughs> and um, everyone that's tried my chocolate has been uh, super impressed and amazed. And they, they, they have said that they haven't tasted really anything like it. And it has made them more curious to find out about like the ingredients that are going into their other products or mm. the other chocolate that they had been eating. And um, so far, the reception has been very positive. I'm, I'm really... I was a... It was very nervous as an American starting a chocolate company. My husband, he's like, we have to do this. We have to. And I, he's Swiss. He doesn't understand. Like, I yeah. don't know if you can, but um, it's been great. I, I was wondering, like, do, if you kind of had that feeling like, oh, can I, can I do this? It, you know, is Nestle going to come knocking on my door, <laughs> you know, threatening me, you know, get like, out of our like town. The do you know about the cheese mafia? I do not know about the cheese There's, mafia. That's a, that's a whole nother <laughs> Is that an American thing? No, 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 no. That's a Swiss thing. Oh. Because there are only, so there are very limited amount of cheeses that you can buy in Switzerland because the cheese mafia controls what types of cheeses. Oh, I hope there's no chocolate mafia. You heard about the chocolate mafia? Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't call it a mafia, but there is, I mean, in the chocolate industry, there are very few players that control almost like you feel like when you go to a store you have a lot of choice however usually it's the same few companies using different packaging and different Mm. branding to sell Mm -hmm. you the same chocolate yeah i know that personally because i avoid nestle products and um they're in every they're everything there's things Mm. that don't even say nestle on it that are nestle yeah you you would never know unless you actually go and you do that research and you do that digging yourself that it's a nestle product but a lot of stuff i mean kaye and yeah all of all of yeah. Um, so the Calle Chocolate Tour is really a cool tour. Yeah. With, uh, with kids, yes. And it's right near Gruyere, so. Yeah, yeah. I tried to. Beautiful place. I had gone to the Gruyere Castle once, and I tried to go to the Calle Factory, but the wait was too long, so. Ah, yeah. That's too bad. You should go back. <laughs> yeah, maybe next it's time. Good, it's a good tour. So um, this is not related to chocolate, but I wanted to ask, was Zurich the choice uh, to live here because of your husband? Um, is this where he grew up? Is this where, where he lived with his family? Or is this, was there a separate reason to choose Zurich? So he grew up in Pfeifikon, Schweiz. Mm-hmm. Um, but he works at Heineken in Lucerne. And so we had thought about maybe living in Lucerne, but he thought that as someone, as an expat or as an immigrant, um, as someone from the United States, it would be much easier for me at the beginning to be in Zurich. Yeah. 
And I guess that's a, it's a probably the best city to have a chocolate company. I mean, Basel would be great because then I could come and get chocolate from you all the time. <laughs> but, you know, it is a much smaller city. So actually, your husband had, he, was, he knew do what you, he was doing. Do you have a storefront here or is it all online or how do you, how do you sell? So right now it's all online and I have different um, different partners that I'm working with with storefronts. Uh, but I was planning to do a lot of events before the coronavirus came and changed all of those lovely plans. So um, yeah, I am right now I have my production facility. It's about 70 square meters. It's in Schlieren. And slowly as we're starting to open things back up, I'm starting to open it up to invite people to come in and tour and see how chocolate's being made. You guys are very welcome. Yes. Yes. <laughs> to do it's it. Free samples at the end, right? For sure. Yes, <laughs> well, of course. Well, no, you heard. We have to have them in front of us for 10 minutes. Yeah, then we have to yeah, sniff yeah, them. Torture, and then you're not allowed yeah. to chew them. Yeah. You have to go through a little bit of torture. And maybe I'll make you, uh, you know, do some fun chocolate making things. That, so you'll earn your chocolate. Oh. Ah, that sounds good. I always <laughs> like to earn my chocolate. Evil. <laughs> I just want it. So um, when it comes to chocolate, is, is there anything like in your background that made you want to do it or was it just that kind of occasional thing that you were doing in your spare time that were like okay this is something I'm gonna you know hone my skills in or was there a real passion there behind the chocolate like what what where, where was the connection between having a job in the US and occasionally making chocolate from from I guess from actual chocolate that's already made um, to to doing a bean to bar like where did the connection come yeah, so I mean, I've always loved chocolate. Who I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> I think I've met some people who don't like it's freaky, but they're get them to try my chocolate. I, I met say. people who didn't like chocolate before, oh, and I gave them my friends. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to wonder about those people, people, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like not liking pizza. It's like mm-hmm. yeah, sorry, back away. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, uh, so I guess like I loved chocolate and I, I I've always been like a bit of a foodie which is funny like a plant-based vegan foodie mm. like I love to explore new flavors and, and I'm very curious about this I like creating new things I like recipe creation um, and so yeah just moving to Switzerland it was like I had all this desire to do something creative and do something in the food space and then it just kind of happened that oh you're in the country for chocolate chocolate. and so let's let's learn about chocolate and let's see what what the what the process is and then the more I learned the more I wanted to learn it was like one of these things where you just couldn't get enough it's like a rabbit hole yeah you fall through it and you're just there's so much to know and to uncover and chocolate industry is one of the industries where I mean, I'm very much a progressive person into like social causes and, and making the world a bit of a better place. And um, chocolate industry is somewhere you can really make a huge impact because there are a lot of problems with mass industrialized produced chocolate with exploitation of labor in cacao producing countries and um, an imbalance of power between the powers here in Europe and North America versus the hundreds of thousands of millions of cocoa farmers who are trying to make a living and and make fair wages for their work. And so this was something that I thought, hey, I want to, like, I, I always thought that I wanted to have my own business, but I wanted to make sure that it was something that I could really be proud of, that it's making a huge impact in the world. And I mean, it's a tiny business right now, don't get me wrong, but 
it, it just feels good to be able Any to. Any chocolate making is making an impact on the world, okay? <laughs> yeah. And good chocolate. But it's just so nice to like know that everyone's benefiting all of, along the supply chain. Mm. Like yeah. it, you and see. How do you how do you ensure that? Like you, you, I'm assuming you've you've been to Tanzania and. So I was supposed to be in Tanzania in September. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, when everything's I wa- got cancelled. When I was going to Tanzania last year, I had time. Um, unfortunately, it was the rainy season. And I don't know, like, so it's not that far geographically, Kilimbero Valley from Dar es Salaam. But it's with the roads and the road conditions. It takes around like 10 or 12 hours to drive right. there. And during the rainy season, these roads turn into rivers. Rivers, yeah, of course. And it's very yeah. dangerous and it doesn't make any sense to go there. So I've met in person with the um, the owners of the cooperative of Coco Camilli, Simran and Brian. And I really believe in what they're doing. And they have the receipts to back up what they're paying the farmers. Mm-hmm. And they're, they are huge on transparency, huge on transparency. And I really like their business model in general. And so... I'm very excited to work with them. I'm excited to visit them one day. I had those tickets booked and then Swiss canceled our flight. And I mean, it wouldn't have happened anyway, probably this year, but hopefully next year. Um, I have, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have lived on uh, uh, other cocoa farms as well. Cause I wanted to, I, I felt like I couldn't really learn about the product unless I, you know, see yeah. it and touch it and it. smell yeah. it. And so um, I was in the Dominican Republic at Zorzal and this is a company that has the same business model that uh, Coco Camilli has with their work with the farmers, taking away like the arduous labor that they would have to do mm-hmm. and giving them a better price for the cacao. And actually, I'm going to be adding those cocoa beans. They just got delivered today to Belgium. So we're going to have some new varieties in the fall using those as well. Um, but yeah, I haven't been to Tanzania yet. That's okay. I mean, it sounds like the plan is, is to be there. And I think it's so important to find those products um, that we can make that are making a difference to people, especially if we can work out where everything is from and and um, the process that it's taken. Um, and that seems like your, your aim. So I appreciate that. I think it's super important, um, especially when you find out really what's in a lot of our products, palm exactly. oil and... Yeah, and these products and these people being um, used and, and not paid for what they deserve to be paid. Exactly. And you feel like, you know, you start to think about, hey, you know, am I really getting a good deal on this product that I'm buying or am I voting for a world that exploits humans right. or exploits resources? Or, I mean, uh, if you care about sustainability at all, I mean, in the Ivory Coast where a lot of our cocoa production comes from, from the mass industrialized scale. Uh, the, the prices are so cheap that are being paid. It's incentivizing people to try to make up for that with getting more quantity yeah. rather than quality. And so they're destroyed, like most of their rainforests have been completely decimated for mm-hmm. cocoa production. Right. And I think that the focus shouldn't be on this just, you know, destroying all the resources that we have. I think it should be more on, on quality and so yeah, anyway. I, I, I like that <laughs> idea. I think the quality uh, side of things is 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 what uh, is what matters. So, I I think that that is awesome that you're doing that. Thank you. But I want to ask you about the packaging as well because that's pretty special. Your packaging really stands out, and I really really like it. What did you have to go through to to do that? Did you do that yourself, or did you did you bring in a friend or or a partner? 
Yeah, it was a pretty long process actually. So um, I worked together with a, with a bit of a team. And so the whole concept behind Quartzy Cacao is like tradition with a modern twist. Yeah. We have the tradition of chocolate here in Switzerland, but then we have this modern twist of like this new kind of business model where we're working with sustainability, transparency, but we also have new dynamic flavor experiences, things like this. So uh, it's on this, um, the color of the paper and the box is actually cacao, which is honoring the ingredient, the main ingredient that goes into chocolate. And then you have, um, you have this design that's kind of like, I don't know. It's like this abstract kind of modern design that will, I want it to convey a sense of like creaminess and indulgence that people are going to be experiencing. Um, but this, you know, this is a process I thought would take maybe a few months. It took, <laughs> it took like a year. Yeah. Were you working with the design shop or how, who did the design? Yeah, so I was working together with a designer at the time, and then also I was working together with a woman that has a business called Insoling Ideas. And she does, um, she helps businesses that like align their purpose and their visual presence. And she is amazing. She can just be inside your head. And now I'm working together with a Bright Lines graphic design studio. And so we just came out with a couple new products, a cocoa tea and a, a cocoa nibs. And so she helped us with those new um, designs inside. But yeah, this is a whole process and it's really, it was I feel like I grew a lot because I didn't realize how challenging it was to articulate what's inside your head. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and like find someone who listen, like can hear what you're saying and just like be inside your head with you. It's so you really, you need to, you know, I think it's, it's really important to find someone you have a great chemistry with and find people you have a great chemistry with who really understand you, understand so what you're doing, understand together. the project product, because when you do, you really get a great result. And this, the packaging that I use, it's uh, FSC certified paper, so completely sustainable and recyclable, and the inner pergamon, um, the little wrapper mm -hmm. on the inside. What's it called, the pergamon? It's called a pergamon, but oh, I realize okay. I use too many terms no, that are like... <laughs> hey, I we're all knew, learning here. I never knew there was a, a, a term for that. There you go. This is uh, made of compostable paper that you can put into a compost. And it was so hard to find sustainable packaging because a lot of what you find out there, um, it is greenwashing. So sort of marketed as being this eco-friendly alternative. But then when you do a little bit more research, you find out that there are pros and cons to everything. So yeah, it's a... You know, chocolate making, it's part of the job, but I really wanted to build something that and make sure that I was confident about the partners that I was setting up with, packaging, all of this. And so this this process took a lot longer than sometimes the chocolate recipe making did. Yeah, so it's not just <laughs> making chocolate. It's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah it's a whole thing. It's a I'm sorry. What, what are some of the more popular uh, chocolates uh, products that you sell? So, so far, pretty much the products they sell relative, I only have three products right now, the coconut chocolate, the hazelnut chocolate, and the 72% just dark chocolate using the, the cocoa butter, cocoa beans, and a little bit of sugar. I would say probably our best seller is the 72%. It's my wife's favorite, 72%. It's, she sends me out to the shop, get me the 70% Yeah, yeah. chocolate. It's great because it's, it's, 
it's not too like too much sugar obviously the sugar content's very low an average bar of chocolate that you get from the grocery store even if it's dark chocolate it only has to have 42 percent cocoa solids so it's going to have 50 percent sugar in it so even yeah that's a lot seven, of sugar. it's yeah. so much sugar yeah and and you can't really taste any other flavors when you have that much sugar and you just taste sweet yeah. so 72 percent is a, a great is that your personal favorite I, I, my personal favorite that I usually enjoy is the hazelnut chocolate because, I don't know, I just really like the balance of the fruitiness in the cacao and then this like chocolate undertones, but then you have, it's not like a traditional hazelnut chocolate. It doesn't have crunchy bits in it. It's like a smooth hazelnut milk chocolate. And so then the melting profile is really satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, me too. <laughs> it's just so good. So this is my favorite. And then um, it, there are people that are like, all they buy is the coconut chocolate. Because yeah. if you like coconut. Coconut's my favorite. If yeah. you like coconut and chocolate together, this is amazing. Because I work together with. Um, no, yeah. No, that's, that's wrong. No, it's, it's not. It's just wrong. No. <laughs> you haven't tried hers yet. Okay. I'm going to be quiet. I work together with uh, Jay Cocos to import the coconut. Okay. And so, I don't. I think some some makers use like a coconut milk, but I use actual chunks of coconut. Yeah. In the in it grinds up, and so it becomes smooth. But it's like real real coconut. And the coconut that she gets is I've done taste tests between like an organic coconut that I was trying and her coconut. It is amazing how yeah. much different it is. I mean, so she works with these farmers in Thailand. And these farmers will process the, the coconut into these little chips and stuff directly at the farm. And this preserves a lot of the nutritional value and the flavor. And it's, it's not just marketing because we've done many, many tests. And it is in, it's like the flavor gets better over time with her coconut in it. Yeah. Whereas the other coconut, over time, it started to get a bit dry and everything. No, hers is amazing. That is awesome. I'm going to have to try this. So maybe, yes. it'll, maybe it'll turn. Exactly. Maybe it'll... Everyone who doesn't like coconut needs to just... I, yeah. I have a question about chocolate. Because I was waiting for so long to try that new Ruby chocolates. Um, you know, for a couple of years, they were they were talking, they were hyping it. Ruby chocolate, Ruby chocolate, a new cup because it's coming from mm -hmm. a Ruby bean. I, I don't know what it's called. Ruby bean? Yeah. And I finally tried it and I was like, eh. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, I guess I just built it up too much in my mind or my mouth uh, <laughs> first. What, what is your opinion of the new, the new Ruby chocolate? Well, so, you know, um, in the craft community, <laughs> I can see why your chocolate mafia is going to come for us. It's a joke, You know, right? it, it's definitely a chocolate for someone. Yeah. It's just not the chocolate for me. Right. Um, it's, so I think. You know, it's interesting as a knowing a bit about like the process of fermentation and everything, and you know that like the beans when they're under fermented, they're this purple color. And so I kind of ask myself, what? Yeah, what process are they doing? I kind of ask myself, what is this, this process that led to this ruby chocolate? Hmm. And I, desperation. To, well, it's very top secret apparently. Yes, they have a lot of patents, and that's an unfortunate thing. That like that's why the craft chocolate, the artisan chocolate bean to bar community is so tight knit, is because we we need to share information with each other. Because when you have three major companies, Olam, Cargill, and um, uh, Cocoa Berry here in Switzerland, these are cocoa producers responsible for sixty five percent of the cocoa purchases in the world. And then you have five major companies that are responsible for chocolate sales, not cocoa production, but chocolate sales. And Nestle's one of them. Um, when you have it so like this, this power so centralized, 
you know, they used to fund PhDs in cocoa a lot more often, but now they've taken a lot of their research and a lot of their science and it's all internal. Yeah, it's all hidden. Yeah. And so to try to find, like, if you look for chocolate making, science of chocolate making, stuff like this, books on this, a lot of it's really outdated. It's from a long time ago. It was what was published in 1970s. And now in the craft and artisan community, we're sharing information with one another on what our best practices are and what's working best for us. And it's really a different product than you're going to get on an industrial level because it's, I mean, when you're producing so much chocolate like that, you can't know where your beans are coming from. You might be able to know which country it comes from, but you can't say which farm did it come from, which estate did it come from, what was the fermentation protocol. Um, and a lot of the tests that they have for quality, they're only good for the Forestero beans, which is like a genetic variety that's known for being very it's very resistant to disease, so it grows very quickly, but it's not known for... It's like it's, the Monsanto of uh, yeah. chocolates. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and it's really, it's, it's a bit sad because when you, you want to have these preservation efforts to preserve fine flavor cacao, um, but when there's not a financial incentive for, for farmers in these countries to do, to do you it. cannot blame mm. them for bringing in this... this new genetic variety, or not new genetic variety, but you understand what I mean. Yeah. Bringing in this, like in Ecuador, for example, almost all of their cocoa used to be fine flavor cacao. It yeah. used to be known for this floral flavors and it used to be really like prize winning. And then um, because they weren't really getting good money for it and it didn't really m- make a difference to have that fine flavor, they just started importing and, and using this uh, Forestero variety, and it started to take over, and so all of the fine flavor started to slowly go away, and now it's a lot more rare to find that in Ecuador than it used to be. And this is happening in every, like almost all these countries, because there's just, they need to see that there's a financial incentive for them to preserve this otherwise right. otherwise they're not gonna do it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these cocoa farmers, they've never tasted chocolate. Mm. They don't it's understand. Crazy. <laughs> not fair. It's not fair. Yeah. No, I think we could talk about chocolate all day. Um, but you do do something else uh, for Democratics Abroad. So tell us about that quickly before we find out how uh, listeners can find your chocolate and get in contact with you. Yes. So I'm co-chair of Democrats Abroad Zurich. And yay. And what we want to remind any listeners today is that it is very, very important to go online and request your ballot and re-register. Just Americans. 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 Yes. Did I not say? (laughs) Um, Any Americans living in Switzerland or anywhere abroad, please go on to votefromabroad.org. And they will walk you through the entire process of registering to vote and requesting your ballot. It's very, very easy on votefromabroad.org. And very important. Very important, yes. And if anyone's listening and you get your your ballot automatically sent to you from a state that automatically will send you your ballot, you still need to go online and re-register to vote every single voting year. So please go to votefromabroad.org. Excellent. That's very good advice. We've had the Democratic uh, Abroad girls on and it's always very interesting we're going to have them again much closer to november so uh, a reminder of that thank you very much for reminding us now if everyone who's been listening is salivating like us and wants to one know more about how your sustainable chocolate your vegan chocolate um or two just buy it because they wanted to just taste this delicious zurich made chocolate how do they get in contact yeah, so you can uh, go to www.kurzikakao.ch. That's K-U-E-R-Z. 
I-K-A-K-A-O. You can also just Google it and I think it'll come up. Yeah. And your Instagram page is awesome. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. You can follow me. Please follow me on Instagram. Like, like us on Facebook. And yeah, you can easily contact us anywhere online. And we'll have links on, on Facebook. We definitely will have links. I ordered from your website. It was so easy. It was like super easy. One of the most annoying things is when you go to buy something and it's like 10,000 pages worth of like buying something. And I quit usually before, but not... Not on your website. It was nice and easy. So I can definitely vouch for that. And uh, and I know that my, my kids' teachers loved your chocolate. So I can't wait to try it myself. But there was none left. So that's not fair. <laughs> Excellent. Th- Britta, thank you so much for coming on thank and you. telling us about your chocolate. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Yummy, bon, taste it up and sell it. You're gonna do it, 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 you're g